0: I uh, want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we're going to begin at the end of that chapter in verse 35 and then read on through verse 3 of chapter 11. It's a short uh, passage here this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help as we read your Word. We know that uh, there is great wisdom and truth uh, that is found there. We know that life itself is found through the Word of God that is in Jesus Christ. We pray that as we... Hear your word preached as we read it for ourselves, Uh, Lord, that we would be nourished by your word, that we would be encouraged by it, and that you would increase our faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. On a particular dreary day in New York City, a young man, despairing of life, uh, was walking down the Brooklyn Bridge and all of a sudden climbed over the railing, decided he was going to leap down into the river below. Uh, But didn't see that there was a policeman that was uh, nearby, immediately was able to grab him by his collar and pull him back onto the bridge. Of course, the man tearfully protested, you just don't understand how miserable I am, how hopeless my life is. Please just let me jump. And the kind-hearted policeman said to him, sort of gave him a wager and said, well, tell you what, uh, I'll give you five minutes to tell me why. Life is so hopeless and why there's no other option for you but to take your life. And afterwards, you give me five minutes on why life is worth living and that there's hope for both you and for me. I think uh, some of you are probably wondering, what kind of advice would the police officer possibly give this guy? Well, we don't know because the way the story turns out, after the man took his five minutes and the police officer took his five minutes, they both joined hands together and jumped off the bridge. Not a true story. Although sometimes it might feel like it ought to be. Especially if you if you read the news or watch the news or whatever it is that you follow. I think I've gotten to the point where I just have stopped paying attention to it altogether. But I still want to read the political cartoons for some reason. And I saw one the other day that had a caricature of a married couple sitting on the couch watching a recap of all the news of 2021. And in that... Uh, uh, comic, if you will, um, the recap of the news was this. It's a record year of COVID deaths, relentless crime, runaway gas prices, and crippling inflation. And the wife says to her husband, who knew that this year could make 2020 look like the good old days? <laughs> Indeed, sometimes our situation does look pretty bleak, uh, sometimes hopeless, Certainly uh, chaotic, if you will, especially when we lose sight of the promises of God. Especially when we lose sight of the kingdom of God and what Christ has accomplished already and what he's going to do when he returns. But that's where faith comes into play. Although we are still residing here in this world, we also are citizens of another kingdom, a kingdom in which Christ reigns, a kingdom in which all is as it should be and a kingdom that is soon going to join and invade this kingdom of ours and take it as his rightful territory. Uh, It's by faith that we see these things. It's by faith that we hold on to hope and have some assurance in this tumultuous world. But that's what distinguishes a true believer from someone who merely professes faith in Christ. They can see these things by faith. They hold on to Christ's kingdom by faith. Those who only have a profession of faith and don't really know Christ, they don't have that same hope. They don't have that same assurance. They're they're lacking it in some way or another. So at the end of chapter 10, he's been summarizing his message to uh, those Jewish Christians, those who had come from a Jewish background who had professed faith in Christ, but some of them were beginning to wonder whether it was not better to have gone back to the Judaistic ways and to abandon their faith in Christ because... Their faith in Christ was getting them in trouble. It was causing more trials and causing persecution, and some had walked away from the church. And so the writer of Hebrews is constantly, continually reminding them of their need to keep their confidence in Christ, continue to cling to Christ by faith and how important faith is. And so he uh, takes an entire chapter of that. Uh, Just a quick title, An Excursus of Faith. So it's basically a, a detailed description of one of the points he's trying to make throughout. He spends an entire chapter giving example after example after example of believing men and women of the Old Testament. So there's Old Testament saints, how they had to live by faith in order to continue to walk with God. So to prove that point, to prove this important doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, the writer gives this extended discussion on what faith is and how it's demonstrated in the life of believers. Now again, uh, toward the end of chapter 10, he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where the prophet is, is quoting the Lord saying, the just shall live by faith. And it's, it's the, the, the proof of, in the pudding is that their faith is continuing to persevere. They live by faith. They don't just profess faith in the beginning but then they live by faith, and that faith is so demonstrable. It's so, uh, it's exhibited in so many different ways that it's hard to miss it in the life of a true saint. They live by faith. And so as we look at this topic, we're going to be looking at it again and again over the next few weeks in chapter 11. Uh, I wanted us to, to look at the concept of faith itself before we get into some of the examples of faith as it's demonstrated in the life of of uh, many of the saints of old. So um, in these first three verses, it's not really a definition of faith per se, but rather a description of, of what faith does for us as believers. And so I want to focus on two of those things this morning, what faith does for those who trust in Christ. First, faith enables us to stand upon God's Word, even when it doesn't seem like God's Word is right at times. Second, Faith enables us to please God as we persevere in God's Word. Same concept. So we'll, we'll start with number one, how faith enables us to stand upon God's Word, to stand upon the promises of God. Now, depending upon your translation, uh, that first phrase in verse one will either say uh, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, or it might say the confidence of things hoped for, or the assurance of of things hope for. Now these are not unrelated ideas. They are related. The the word in the Greek is the word hypostasis uh, that literally means to stand under something. So you're standing under the authority of a person or an idea or of a reality of some kind. Um, Literally it's the idea that we're standing under the word of God, standing under the promises of God. And under that umbrella, the the KJV is probably the closest to the most literal translation of what that word means when it goes from the word hypostasis in Greek to substantia in Latin, from which we get the word substance. It means exactly the same thing, to stand under the authority of God's word. In in fact, uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, uh, he puts it this way, trying to explain what this word means. He says, faith gives being to spiritual reality. It is a possession and present fruition of those things. It gives them a subsistence, a substance in the soul and a foretaste so that the believer is filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, faith brings into the reality the things that we hope for. It it, it becomes a true substance in the eye of the Spirit, what we can really see it enables us to hold on to the promises of God as if they're in our hands, but they're not held by our hands. They're held by our spirit. We know them to be true. We hold them to be true. It, I, I know it's not the best illustration, but I was trying to give some illustration of some corresponding concept in, in the, the real world, if you will, uh, the world that most people think of here and now. And I was thinking of the, the concept of visualization uh, as they use the, uh, in, in the sports realm. So, for instance, if you're, if you're playing basketball, they'll, they'll teach you to visualize yourself shooting the ball into the basket before you actually release your shot, and that it can actually help you become a better basketball player by knowing that you see it happening in advance. Does that make sense? So there actually have been studies that have been done in which... Uh, Uh, testing whether visualization actually works. So in one particular example, there are three different groups of basketball players. All of them have had some uh, background and training in basketball. But in one particular group, they asked the the men to practice shooting free throws for an hour each day for a month. Then a second group was told to only visualize shooting a ball into the hoop for about the same period of time in a month, and then the third group was not told anything, not given any direction at all. Well, as you might expect, the the first group that was practicing free throws every day for an hour, they improved their their free throw percentage by 24%. The group that was told to do nothing, they didn't improve at all because they had no guidance whatsoever. But strangely, the group that was told to visualize shooting baskets each day, they improved by 23%. Just by seeing it in advance, seeing the success of the basket, if you will. Uh, Again, I I know it's not the the best illustration here, but I'm I'm trying to... When someone sees the reality of Christ's victory, he believes it. He believes in the conquest of Christ through the cross... There's something about how that begins to help that person's life as well and how he actually lives his life believing that Christ has done this, believing that Christ has won our salvation through the cross. It does change how we actually live. Uh, the other copies of God's words will translate the word hypostasis as assurance or confidence, unlike uh, a basketball player might be confident in his own skills or in his, his performance. It's not a made-up thing. It's not something that we rely upon ourselves, but it's a gift that God gives to us where we have the confidence and assurance that God will do what he says, that he will keep his word, and that he has already granted that success through the cross, but that his coming is dependent upon what he has already done. It is a done deal. In other words, the winning basket has already been made. Now we're just waiting for the time to click down until he returns. It's a reality. It's a reality. But it's a reality that can only be seen by faith. Now, sometimes it's hard for believers to see any evidence of these truths, especially when the church comes under attack, especially when we're undergoing persecution in different parts of the world. It seems at times where God is despised by everyone around us. It seems as if the church is is lost cause. but, But faith enables us to see the reality, not only of the cross, but also of the crown of Christ and his return. It enables us to, to see the truth of the victory of Christ, even when our eyes say something different, when we don't see that. Let me give you an example. Adoniram Judson was a, a missionary to Burma, and uh, one particular day after uh, everything went wrong, uh, he's laying on the ground with 32 pounds of chains on his ankles, and his feet are tied to a bamboo pole, and he's, he's, he's basically rotting in a jail. And one of his fellow prisoners, who's an unbeliever, he's sneering at him with a great smirk on his face. He says to him, Dr. Judson, what about that prospect of the conversion of all the heathen now? And Dr. Judson's reply was simply, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. Because he's able to see something that the unbeliever is unable to see. He's able to see the victory of Christ. He's able to see that salvation has been won, that his chains have been released. Then the second part of verse 1, the author fleshes out that point a little bit more, saying that faith is the conviction or evidence of things not seen. If you look ahead to verse 13, the author, recounting the faith of some of the Old Testament believers, says this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, they acknowledged that they were strangers and aliens on earth. So the author's saying that, that they all died, not having actually received the fullness of the promise, but they saw the fullness by faith. They believed the victory by faith, and they embraced it in full conviction that now they just weren't they weren't just believing in some basic promise of God, but the, the promise of God that's in Christ. The Old Testament saints are looking forward to the Messiah who is to come. They see him as if he's already come. He's there. And so they live their lives based upon what Christ has and will do. It's the same way for us today. The evidence of God's promises can only be seen by faith. Now that's a hard uh, argument for an unbeliever to swallow because they'll say that's no evidence at all. Ambrose Pierce, uh, for instance, in his Devil's Dictionary, He actually is a very witty guy. Um, Back in the 19th century, he gave a lot of uh, great descriptions of reality today. But uh, when it came to religion, he was way off base. Uh, Here's what he said about faith He said, Faith is belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. In other words, he's saying that that faith is a blind faith that has no reality whatsoever. Uh, But that's not true. There's evidence there. There's proof there, but it can only be seen by faith. You're not going to see it by sight. It's impossible to see it by sight. The Holy Spirit has to bring the conviction of truth, has to bring the evidence of God's Word and to prove that it is true in our eyes. Arthur Pink, uh, one of the uh, uh, great um, Reformed preachers of old, um, he wants to use this illustration of two men standing on a ship uh, on the ocean. One could see a steamer far out on the, uh, the far horizon uh, and the other one couldn't see it at all. Of course, one is using a telescope and the other one is just using his naked eye and he can't see it. And so uh, Pink is, is, is trying to explain that just as the telescope brings home to the natural, brings home an object that's beyond our natural sight. So faith is something that helps you to see beyond what you would be able to see with your own eyes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a second sight, a third sight, if you will. It enables us to see something into the spiritual realm. Of course, the, the natural man can't accept that. He refuses to accept that. He has to be able to see it with his own eyes, to believe nothing more than what is capable of being demonstrated through some sort of scientific demonstration or, or otherwise. The problem is, when he's confronted with the eternal things, his objections will not allow him to believe hinders him in any way from considering the things of God. The natural man can't accept the things of God, the Scripture says, because they're foolishness to him. He cannot see them. He cannot understand them. The believer, on the other hand, he trusts God's Word because his faith gives him the ability to see, the evidence. Again, Arthur Pink says this, Faith shuts its eyes to all that is seen and opens its ears to all that God has said. Let me say that again, because it, it it might sound like um, it's stupidity. <laughs> he says, faith shuts its eyes to all that is seen and opens its ears to all that God has said. In other words, if there's going to be one evidence that you look to more than anything else, are you going to trust your eyes? Are you going to trust God's Word? After all, everything in this world was made from things that are unseen, in other words, what is visible, the things that we try to trust in, were made from things invisible. So how then can you trust in only what you can see if the things that you see are made from things you can't see? Does that make sense? Am like really, I'm losing you, Anna. You know, according to the passage that David read earlier in Exodus chapter 4, sometimes God would use visible demonstrations to help people see. Miracles, they're called, right? We see the example in Exodus chapter 4, I mean, they almost look like parlor tricks. You know, he sticking his hand in his pocket, leprous, puts his hand back, it's not leprous. You know, his snake, his, his staff turns into a snake. And then later, all these other plagues to prove his power again and again. But even after all these tricks that God shows Moses, if you will, Moses still doesn't do what he wants. He still doubts. Then look at the Israelites. That after all, The splitting of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army being drowned. They're free to go. God has done everything he would promise that he would do with all of these demonstrations of power that they could see, and yet they still don't believe. You can't trust the eyes alone. You have to trust God by faith. The same thing in the New Testament. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they had seen miracles. And yet they kept demanding more signs, more proof that Jesus was who he said he was. The people, the crowd, the same ones that that cheered him on one day, they want to crucify him the next day. Because they wanted to see more. More than what the naked eye could see. Although science is very helpful, uh, again, faith is not an enemy to science at all. Science cannot help you understand everything. Science cannot help you to understand things that are unseen. Uh, Even though, like I said, the scientists, for the most part, still buy into the Big Bang theory today, which basically teaches that about 14 billion years ago, something happened, particles collided, and that's how matter has come into being in the way that we know it today. They, they, They do this by observing some things in our world today, speeding galaxies, ancient gas clouds. All of these things in their mind immediately jumps to the conclusion, well, this must have happened here, this must have happened there. And then this vast explosion that took place, and now we know life as it is. But if you look at verse 3, the way the writer of Hebrews states it, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Whenever science and Scripture seem like they don't always agree on certain things, I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd rather trust in what I believe to be the certainties of God over the guesses of men. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> I don't claim any knowledge of science in all the realms, but I've said this many times. Science is a claim to knowledge. Many times it's right. I'd say most of the time it's right. but Sometimes it's not. The word science comes with the Latin skew. It means to know. So it's, it's our attempt to know something. The problem is our knowledge changes from time to time. It's granted, it's understood. But am I going to trust someone who has a claim to knowledge, a claim to SCIO, to science? Or am I ultimately going to trust the omniscience, the omniscient being who has made all things and has revealed to us the things that we ought to know? In my mind, it's always going to be the latter rather than the former. The unbeliever can't take that, can't accept that. It's as St. Augustine said, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you might understand. Again, that's so contradictory to the way the unbeliever would think. I I can't believe and then understand. I must understand and then believe. It's not that faith and science are enemies. But one has to come before the other. It's only by faith that we understand the big picture. It's only by faith that we understand that God created the world. It's only by faith that we understand that we were made in the image of God different from the animals. It's only by faith that we understand that we sinned and and we've inherited the sin of of our ancestors and that there's a penalty for that sin. It's only by faith that we understand that God has sent a Savior to the world. It's only by faith that we believe that Christ is coming back to rule over all the kings of the world, to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdom of our God, It's only by faith that we see these things. It's as Michael Card says in his song, God's Own Fool. It's one of my favorites. This song I used to listen to again and again and again in college as I was going to all my crazy religion classes and science classes that were trying to teach me everything else that was contradictory, everything I had learned in Scripture. God's Own Fool is... is, uh, Uh, based upon 1 Corinthians and Paul's take on how the Gentile naturally sees the gospel as foolishness. Absolute foolishness. And therefore Christ himself was a fool in the eyes of most men, both Jews as well as Gentiles. But he says this in the song, he says, And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Again, he's admitting that Christians themselves now have been identified as fools too for following the fool. But then he says, he makes his appeal to the outsider. He says, so believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. At some point, (laughs) you have to trust God's word. If you can't trust God's word, you can't walk with God. And that leads us to the second point. Faith enables us to please God and to persevere in his word. Verse 2, the author says, For by it, that's by faith, the people of old received their commendation. In other words, they, God was pleased with them because of their faith. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on the second point, because it's going to be uh, brought up again and again in the rest of the, the chapter. But, but if you look in verse 4, for instance, he'll so show a couple examples of this. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. Then if you skip ahead to verses 5 and 6, the author again speaks of Enoch this time, saying he was commended as one having pleased God, and that's why God took him unto himself. So in in both cases, they demonstrated their faith in some particular way, and, and it was because of that faith that was demonstrated that God was pleased with them, because their faith could be seen by their Actions. The author point, His point here is, is that faith is essential to Christianity just as it was essential to the Old Testament saints. It's always been essential. If one loses his faith, if you will, or one walks away from what he says to be true, he will not be commended by God, but rather the point of Hebrews 10 is that he will be condemned because he's not walking by faith. It's not, Christianity is not some transaction. It's not like, uh, you know, as uh, Davy had a transaction of purchasing his wife, it's a lifetime. Throughout life, faith has to be demonstrated through the choices that we make, through the actions that we follow. Just as Cain was condemned for his faithlessness, so too would anyone today be condemned who faithlessly walked counter to God's commands, did not believe in God's words, did not hold to the promises of God. Not only is faith essential at the beginning when you first profess faith in Christ, it's essential all throughout. Faith is the core of Christianity. Every single day of our lives, faith is how we relate to God. God says something, I believe it. Later on at the end of the sermon when we get to the the hymn, I heard the voice of Jesus say. If you look at it, it's four verses. And each time, it's the first part of the verse is saying what God has said in His Word. And then the believer is saying, and I believed it, and therefore I walked according to it. Notice that as you're singing it. I heard the voice of Jesus say that He is the light of the world, and I believed it, and now He is my light. I heard the voice of Jesus say that He is the water of life, and now I drank freely from Him. Do I believe that? There's a difference in how my life turns out as a result. J.C. Ryle, uh, another 19th century um, reform preacher, he said this, in, in walking with God, a man will go just as far as he believes, and no further. His life will always be proportioned to his faith. His peace, his patience, his courage, his zeal, his works, all will be according to his faith. For if I don't believe God's word concerning The future, if you will. How can I possibly bear affliction with patience today? If I don't believe God's promises in terms of of right and wrong, in terms of justice on that final day, how can I maintain my peace when I'm angered, annoyed, wronged by my neighbor? How can I have courage when I'm afraid? How can I be zealous when I'm tired? How can I do any of these things unless faith tells me that these things are true, that there's a reality that I'm a part of. Again, J.C. Ryle, uh, speaking of John Wesley and George Whitfield, he said this, Why did they pray so much? His response, simply because they had much faith. Because they believed, they prayed. He says, "For what is prayer but faith speaking to God? Others might attribute their success to diligence and labor, but Ryle says, What is Christian diligence but faith at work? Perhaps it was boldness, some would say. But what is Christian boldness but faith honestly doing its duty? Faith is the root of all Christian character. Faith is the root of all Christian life. If you don't believe, you won't do. If you don't believe, you won't have a relationship with God. If that's the case, I should be able to look at my life and and examine, do I really believe? How can I see that through the evidence of my life? For instance, what What does my prayer life really tell me about my faith? How much do I really believe? How do my spending habits show what I really believe? Or flip that around. How does my faith encourage my prayer life? How does my faith in Christ's coming affect my plans for this year? How does my faith in this world passing away, as the Scripture has said, how does that affect my relationship with the things of this world? Does it have any effect? Does it change my mind on any of these things? This is where the rubber meets the road. If my faith is real, it affects my decisions. If my faith is true, it changes my schedule. It modifies my plans, influences my choices, disturbs, even upsets my own dreams of what my life ought to be. Because faith changes me. Faith makes me live according to God's Word. All because God has spoken to us, and we've believed it, and now we're acting upon it. Only because He said it, and no other reason. It's by faith that we live in the present for the sake of Christ, not for ourselves. Telling others about Jesus, coming to church, worshiping every week, not because we're just afraid of the future, but because we love the Christ who has saved us and are excited for the future that Christ is going to keep his word unto us, because we see Jesus by faith and consider him the pearl of great price, that faith changes what I value and what I want. I don't know about you, but when I first trusted in Christ, believed in the gospel, I was around 17 years of age. And uh, I remember uh, I was actually on a beach retreat uh, when I first professed faith in Christ publicly. And I gro- I'd grown up in a home where we went to church regularly, but I knew it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted. I didn't want to call someone else the Lord of my life. <laughs> I didn't want to live for someone else. I wanted to live for myself. And I remember when the gospel first became sweet to me. And when it made sense to me, I understood it by faith, even the basics of it. And I remember for the first time I felt like, man, now I feel like I'm right with the world. I'm right with God. And I remember for the first time I noticed things that I never noticed before. I enjoyed looking at creation. I enjoyed realizing the beauty and the glory and all that there was to see. And I remember scriptures that I had heard as a kid all of a sudden were, coming to me like I had just read them, even though I had not. And I remember even reading about uh, Abraham and the promise that God made to him that his sons would be as many as the sands on the seashore. And I'm walking on the seashore and saying, I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a child of God by faith. God has a plan for me. I don't know what it is. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to live a glorious life and this is going to be great. Now I was pretty naive. I get a lot of things wrong about God. Amen? (laughs) I think all of us have. But one thing I can tell you for sure, as much as I have gotten wrong and God has corrected me by the Word and by His Spirit, God has never let me down. He's never disappointed me. Now, granted, I've disappointed myself and, and have been disappointed over different events in my life, but I've never been disappointed by God. He has lived up to all the hype and so much more. There there has never been an exaggeration of any of the promises of God. I'd say it'd be the other way. they are understatements of the promise. It's so much better than what he says. But you have to believe it by faith. You have to hold on to the promises of God by faith. If you walk by sight, you're not going to get it. You're going to constantly complain and grumble and be bitter and say, God, let me down again because you're so stupid because I'm so stupid. That's what we do when we don't believe. Faith enables us to see what is unseen. And faith enables me to please God because faith is at the very core of that relationship with God. If I don't believe Him, I don't believe His Word, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to grow. This' well, that's how it works. Uh, once you have come to faith in Christ, it starts as a mustard seed, and God rewards that little bit of faith, but over time it's supposed to grow, and should, and would, and will, if you walk with God. But I, I can tell you many times where my faith has been pretty sad and pitiful, and I remember asking God, similar to the 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 father of the, the son who was demon-possessed, and he he said, to, you know, Jesus asked him, do you believe I can do this? And he simply says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I, 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 think, that, I think that's a, a good prayer to pray for any of us who know that we ought to be farther along in the faith category than we are. But some of you are here that still in the unbelieving camp, if you will, and you're having a hard time because you want to see the evidence first. You want to see the truth. You want to see it proven in some other way. And, and I'm telling you, you have to be a fool in order to come to Christ. Christ doesn't save wise men. He saves children who come to Him by faith. That's what He saves. Only those who come to Him and can trust Him in that way. He opens your eyes. He helps you to see. The Holy Spirit has to open your ears to hear what He's really saying. Open your eyes to really perceive what He is doing in the world. Apart from that, you're always constantly looking with your own naked eye, trying to find that ship out in the distance, and you'll never see it. It can only come if you're given that extra aid to the Holy Spirit who helps you to see and to believe. And by believing, He not only says you'll be saved, but by believing you will have the abundant life in Christ that He's promised and be able to live it in that way. So I I, I urge you, if faith is your (laughs) hang-up, Simply pray the same prayer. Lord, I I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. I can't do it on my own. It's not something I can manufacture. It's something that God has to give. Pray and ask God, give me a faith to believe. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would be merciful to us. There's so much that we don't know, so much that we claim to know so much that it's still confusing to us in different ways. We, we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we grapple with your word, that we would not read it and, and immediately sit in judgment upon it, thinking that we know better than the God of the universe. I pray instead, Lord, that you would help us to really listen to what you have to say, really meditate upon the word of God. Give us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, eyes to see the kingdom of God that we might be saved. That we might grow. That we might trust you. That we might walk in the ways that you've laid out for us in advance. That we might know the life that you've given unto those that are your children. We pray these things in Christ.